Welcome to Laws of Legacy. I'm your host, Delana Barbie, the Around the Way Lawyer. I help everyday entrepreneurs like you protect, build, and secure their assets and leave a lasting legacy. Each week, I'll bring you information on the legal, financial, business, and other topics to take you from hustler to boss. If you're down for the ride, buckle up and listen in. Before we jump into this episode, remember, even though I'm a lawyer and legal topics may be discussed, this is not legal advice and I'm not your lawyer. This is general educational information to get you thinking. Speak to a lawyer if you have any questions about your specific situation. And with that, let's get going. I'm super excited for our guest today, our first guest for the Laws of Legacy podcast. I've been in communication with her for a while, and I said, you know, I cannot wait to have you as a podcast guest. And as soon as things got rolling for Laws of Legacy, I reached out to her, and I'm so thankful that she was able to make time in her schedule to join us today. So I won't hold you too long before you hear from our amazing guest, but I do want to let you know a little bit about her background. Veronica McClendon is an estate planning and real estate attorney who specializes in helping individuals and families manage, preserve, and transfer assets that were inherited or acquired during their own lifetimes. She has a passion for strengthening families, restoring communities, and helping people build legacies. Through her firm, McClendon Law and Consulting, she offers a range of legal services, including drafting wills and estate plans, consulting with families on clearing title to heirs' property, probating the estates of deceased loved ones, and helping families form LLCs and other business entities to hold and manage family land. Veronica attended college at Mercer University in Macon, Georgia, and later attended Duke Law School in Durham, North Carolina. Veronica currently lives in Macon, where she enjoys homeschooling her daughters, gardening with her husband, and building relationships with other community builders. She is actively engaged in the local legal community and currently serves as the 2020 to 2021 president of the Macon Bar Association. She also serves as a board member of Middle Georgia Justice, which is a nonprofit law firm dedicated to helping people who need legal services but cannot afford them to get those services on a pro bono or reduced fee basis. And without further delay, we're just going to jump right in to the conversation between me and attorney Veronica McClendon. Veronica, thank you so much for joining us this week. Thank you for having me. It is my absolute pleasure and honor to be on here. I'm so excited to have you as the first guest on the Laws of Legacy podcast. Yes. (laughs) It's like, wow, me? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, you. So I introduced you through your formal bio, but I would love for you to tell us one thing that most people don't know about you. Okay, so one thing most people don't know about me is that I was one belt away from getting my black belt when I was a teenager. 
And then a few years ago, I went back to martial arts to, um, I guess, try to pick up where I left off and move toward getting my black belt again. I um, didn't end up doing it just yet because I ended up finding out I was pregnant. And then I took some time off and I decided I was going to go back early this year. And then we had a pandemic come up. So (laughs) So I guess people might not know that I was very close to getting my black belt in Hong Sudo. And that that is something that is one of my goals to get my black belt soon enough so that I can actually have my black belt. That's incredible. Oh my goodness. I didn't know that about (laughs) you. So I definitely think and can see you actually getting it when all this mess is over and you're able to get back in the studio. That's awesome. That is my goal. Now being the mother of two small children, it's something to juggle, but I really want to do it. Uh, It's something I feel like I have to do for myself since I didn't finish that goal when I was a teenager. So tell me what drew you to focusing your law practice on estate planning? Well, you know, it's as with like everything in my life, it was a roundabout journey. (laughs) Let's see, where should should I start from the beginning or should I start from the middle or the end? You know, so thinking back to when I first considered estate planning, I'll go there. I was on my own. I had my own practice and I heard about this way of practicing law that was supposed to be more work-life friendly, I guess, to have that work-life balance, work-life balance friendly. And I looked into that approach and it was centered around estate planning. And so I thought, you know, I I think I want to do this, but there was a significant investment involved at that time. So I kind of tried to do it, you know, going around the way and just learning it on my own. But then in the process of me transitioning my practice to estate planning, I saw a job opportunity um, listed on a listserv that I was on. And when I looked into it, I thought, I have to do this. And it was a position with Georgia Heirs Property Law Center where they were looking for a staff attorney to help landowners with clearing up the title to their property when there was not proper estate planning done. And then also making sure that they prevent future problems with their property real estate through having effective estate planning. So I already had that seed planted and started taking the CLEs and kind of getting trained in that area of law before I learned about this position. But then when I learned about this position, I thought this is exactly where I was headed. So I ended up applying for the job and getting the offer took the position and was at Georgia Air's Property Law Center for almost three years. And so that's kind of where I really got my feet into estate planning. And I said that I was asking, should I start at the beginning or the middle or the end? Because really, I was being prepared for this area of practice from even as a child. Because when I was a child, my mother's, uh, my grandmother, my mother's mother and her brothers and sisters were in the process of selling property that they inherited from their um, parent. And so in that process of, I guess, them thinking through how they were going to sell the land, or I don't, I don't even know what part of the conversation I came in on, but there was an issue with the will and how things were supposed to be divided up by the will. And I remember that just, that was just, It's a formative part of my childhood, just thinking about the fact that my family had land and that 
there seemed to be some unfairness in how the property was divided up, that maybe the will was not written properly or the attorney who was administering the will didn't do it properly or whatever. But I just remember that. And so that ties into, you know, later when I heard about this job with Georgia Heirs Property Law Center, where it just felt like this is what I had been preparing for all my life. Does that answer the question? (laughs) No, it absolutely did answer the question. Absolutely. So I guess from there, you really were interested in focusing on property. You got into that experience. What type of things did you see? You don't have to obviously talk about a specific case, but generally speaking, what type of issues come up in heirs property where there's issues due to either, you know, an ineffective will or no type of estate planning? Yeah. So the first issue is no will, no estate planning, where a lot of times when it comes to heirs property, this is property that's been in the family for several generations. I had a case where the property first came into the family in the early 1900s, like 1905 or something, you know, really (laughs) a really long time ago. And the property has been in the family for generations. And the family, for the most part, you know, has managed the property together. They've taken care of it. They made sure that they paid the taxes. But then it comes down to someone who's here today who needs to apply for a government program to like fix the roof on their house or to get a loan to improve some operations on the property. And they're not able to do that because the deed to the property, the last deed they have on record is from that ancestor who purchased the property in 1905. So that's one issue just where you have somebody today who's wanting to use the property in some meaningful way, but they can't get the resources they need because the title is messed up with the property. Another issue that we see is, you know, there's usually one or two family branches within the whole family tree that are taking care of the property over the generations. But then we get here to present day and the family is having a hard time deciding what is going to be the future of the property. And there's disagreement between the family members as to what they're going to do and how they're going to proceed because there was no plan provided to them at the forefront. So I guess though both of those examples were examples of when there was no estate plan. And there's also issues when there was a will, but the person who drafted the will or the, the person who had the will drafted, they left the property to, you know, my five children. And I think that's what happened with my family, where they just said, I leave this to my five children, share and share alike. And then people are coming and trying to figure out what a share and share alike mean. Does that mean that I get the part with the house or does that mean I get the part with the lake? Or, you know, it's just all of those, those, um, I guess, that uncertainty as to how the property is supposed to be divided, utilized, uh, what the family's wishes are, what the ancestors' wishes were, those kind of issues. So how do you resolve that then? So when you get involved or have gotten involved, there's a disagreement. It's like, well, there could be a disagreement potentially. And people are saying, well, where do we start? How do you usually advise from there? So usually I I always like to, I guess, remember an attorney who practiced in the area of real estate for decades and he passed away a couple of years ago. 
But I always like to recall his words where he talked about how you first got to know what the dirt is and then you got to know who owns the dirt. And so that's kind of where I start too, where we need to know first, what piece of property are we referring to? Very often, especially when the property has been in the family for several generations, you have multiple deeds to say, you know, you may have started out with 50 acres. You have a deed for 50 acres that was executed decades ago. The, the client comes to me and says, I know that my family owns these five acres or these 10 acres, but I don't know how we got it because the last deed that I have is this 50 acre deed. So first we have to find out exactly what parcel of land we're talking about. And we also have to figure out who owns that parcel of land, who has the legal rights to that parcel of land. So once we are, you know, trying to figure out what is the dirt, then we need to do a title search to have a title abstract to go and look through the land records, look through the court records and see, you know, can I locate what the chain of title for this property? What happened from that 50 acre deed to today? Can I figure out how the property has, you know, gotten smaller? Were there any transactions that happened that the family was not aware of to explain how we went from 50 acres to 10 acres in present day? So once we do that, then we have to figure out who are the individuals who are entitled to that piece of property. And that's when we have to work with the family to come up with the family tree to show who are the heirs of the person who originally owned that property. So those are like the two preliminary things that we always have to do. What is the land we're talking about and who are the people who are entitled to it? What percentage of the property are they entitled to? Then from there, it's kind of a family-specific conversation depending on what the family's goals are. So sometimes we can accomplish things through just deed transfers and affidavits. That's an ideal way, but it's only an option if certain circumstances are in place. Then, you know, if the the deeds and affidavits route is not an option, you might have to go to court and do a partition action or quiet title, depending again on what their goals are and, you know, what legal strategy you're trying to take. It really depends. And the more that the family is on board, the more helpful it is. If there's a lot of fighting about how things are going to go, of course, that makes it more challenging. So a lot of times as an attorney, you're not just a legal advisor, you're also almost like a family mediator because you have to help the family decide, are we really arguing about the land or are we arguing about the fact that mama always treated you better than she treated me? (laughs) (laughs) I could totally see that happening. And having to, you know, uncover those other issues that really may be taking over the conversation that you're trying to have about the land. Right. It it takes a certain bedside matter to do this work. It's not, you can't just come at it with, um, you know, like a, I'm going to just be the attorney kind of mindset. And I will say, you didn't ask me about this, but when it comes to African-American land ownership, I think this is where it's really important for us to have African-American attorneys involved because there are just certain things that happen in our families, certain kind of conversations that happen that everybody is not familiar with. And everybody doesn't really understand some of the family dynamics that are at play. For example, I had a conversation when I first got into this work 
with some Caucasian men about who were real estate attorneys, real estate and probate. And they were just kind of talking about how anytime they would have a family that came to them with a plot of land that they're trying to figure out what to do with it. They always say, you got to sell it. You got to sell it. There's nothing else we can do but sell it and distribute whatever money is left to the family. And sometimes that is the best route. But in African-American families, a lot of times you have this collective approach that we're used to. And sometimes you can come up with other solutions that honor that approach. But it's not something that everybody's going to think about because perhaps, I can't say for sure, perhaps their families don't work like that. So. No, it's important that you bring up, you know, the cultural aspects of, you know, working with clients in general, just being able to understand that there may be certain cultural dynamics that are coming up because of, you know, just background, because of history and the way that they may see land versus, you know, other groups may see land for, if you're talking about, you know, African-American history and thinking about, especially I mean, in, in this country, thinking about descendants of American slavery and the fact that there's a feeling of, well, we can't go back too far because, you know, we just can't. We can't go back too far to trace our ancestry. We're, tr- you know, trying, actively making attempts. But sometimes that land mm-hmm. is really as far back as many of us could trace our background. Right. And so, that type of um, feeling and attachment to the land makes it such that maybe selling is not the best route for family reasons, for that type of cultural relationship to the land that they have. And so it's definitely something to think about in the conversation. As you mentioned earlier, it's not when you're working with your clients, it's not just about, hey, these are the legal strategies that we can take, but also thinking about the family and uh, talking you know, from a consultant kind of standpoint, a counseling standpoint, and how we can make this work from both a legal perspective and for what the family's goals actually are. Right, right. Exactly. That's exactly what I was trying to communicate for sure. So we talked a little bit about wills and for some listeners, they may not be familiar with what estate planning really means. So I wanted to take a step back and capture that because a lot of what you're talking about with heirs property, about the dispute, a lot of that has come out of either a failure to do estate planning at all, or maybe inadequate estate planning. So can you share what you feel estate planning is and frame that for the listeners? Sure. So estate planning is thinking ahead. You know, we all have People that we hold dear, we all have assets that we hold dear or that are important to us for some reason or another. And so estate planning is thinking ahead. What happens to these assets? What happens to these people I care about if I suddenly became ill or if I was otherwise incapacitated? I may, you know, get in an accident. What's going to happen to minor children who are in my care or if I'm caring for a disabled or an elderly parent, what's going to happen to those people in my charge if something happened to me? You know, that something could be death or that something could be an illness or an injury where you're not able to handle your affairs. So I always kind of start there. And then I say, okay, so what kind of things do we need to anticipate? What kind of things do we need to protect against? You want to make sure that you have somebody in place 
to deal with your, you know, to talk with your doctors on your behalf and to make medical decisions for you. Because I always tell people when we're talking about estate plan, we're not just talking about if you die or if you're like so sick that, you know, you're going to die soon. Sometimes when we're dealing with your your medical decisions, it could be these are the decisions that's going to make sure that you're going to still be here and that you're going to be in your right mind after you get past this medical emergency. And so you want to have someone in place to communicate with your doctor on your behalf. And you want to have someone in place to uh, make the right decisions for you. And then also you want to talk about your finances. Who's going to pay your bills? So do you still have a house to go to when you come back from the hospital or to make sure that, you know, whatever kind of obligations you have, that there's somebody in place who has the authority to make sure those obligations are taken care of. So that's where you need that financial power of attorney in place to name someone who can handle your finances and tell them what authority they have and what authority they don't have over your money. And then from there, we start talking about a will. What happens when I pass away? As you know, we all know that that's going to happen for all of us, but we can make things easier on our families or they can be harder. And having a will in place helps make things a little easier. At least you know what's going to happen to your possessions. You you provide directions for what happens to your possessions in your estate planning. You also say how you want things to be divided up and you provide those instructions. So I define estate planning as thinking ahead and then putting a plan in place to address different scenarios that may come up or that will come up and just having something in writing that you can count on. So there's a lot of details that I'll be happy to talk about if you want to today. But that's kind of how I approach it from a, an introductory standpoint. Perfect. And I know that, you know, there are other tools. For example, in your bio, you also will help, you know, form limited liability companies sometimes for land. And then there's also trust opportunities. So can you speak a little bit to that type of advanced estate planning and kind of the benefit of using that as well to hold, transfer, you know, manage property? Right. So when we think about a trust, a trust is an instrument that allows you to designate somebody who's going to be responsible for being over your assets. And then it also allows you to provide them with instructions for how they manage your assets. And depending on what kind of trust it is, it might be something that's in place for uh, while you're still here. And it allows you to have someone in place in the event that you become incapacitated and can't handle your own finances. And it, it has that person in place. And then there's little question as to whether they have the authority to act in that capacity because you have already put those measures in place to ensure that they do. So a trust allows you to have your, you, you can already put your plans in writing in place and it's legally binding so that when is needed, things are already in place. Whereas if you're relying on a will, then that doesn't go into effect until after you pass away. And it requires that you go through a court in order to activate the provisions of those will, of that will. So I, let's see if it's thinking about trying to think of how to answer this in a way that um, <laughs> there's not just rambling. Any guidance? Well, that was extremely helpful. I think just from a high level of thinking about the trust component, I think you gave enough detail. Obviously, you can go way more into detail on trust, but at a high level, just understanding, you know, that's an instrument to hold 
uh, property for you and something that can assist both if someone was unable to make their own decisions because of you know severe illness or also when they pass away. Now, the other part of that question was about the um, LLCs and how that also can be part of estate planning. Is that correct? Is something that you would want to talk about a little bit more about how you use that in land ownership? Sure. So we use LLCs in land ownership when we have a family, maybe multiple family members who own the same piece of property. And under most circumstances, without any kind of estate plan in place, or even with the state planning in place, that land is subject to the states of each of those individuals when they pass away. And also any other issues that might come up if they became incapacitated, became ill or disabled, and they're not able to handle their affairs, that property is at risk because whoever ends up taking control of that individual's affairs, that person is going to also have a say as it pertains to the property. And if there's nobody in place, then that puts the property at risk as well. So when the land is owned directly by the heirs, as is often the case initially, that land is at risk. And it's, as I said, subject to the states of those individual heirs. So if they have a will, then their part of the land is going to be decided. The ownership is going to be decided according to that person's will. If they did not have a will, it's going to be decided according to the laws of the state where that person passes away. When you're in that kind of situation, the land is at risk. So what you want to do is consolidate title to the property, take it out of the names of those multiple family members and put it into the name of a single entity. And that's what an LLC allows you to do. You take title, you take ownership from those individual heirs, and you put into one limited liability company. And then that limited liability company is going to have, it should have an operating agreement associated with it that then dictates what happens to each person's interest in the now LLC. If they pass away or they become disabled, or even if um, they get caught up in some kind of financial challenges, that operating agreement is going to help protect where the LLC is going to protect the land from being subject to those variables. So what will happen is that you have an operating agreement with the LLC that dictates what happens if a person passes away, who to have access to their interests, and what rights would those people who inherit the interest in that person share, what rights would they have to make decisions concerning the LLC and then in turn, concerning the property. So the LLC can be used as an estate planning tool in that way, where you, instead of you having to deal with each individual owner's estates when they pass away or each individual's owner's financial situations or whatever kind of challenges they may face, you know, divorces, that's another issue. When the property is in an LLC, it's shielded from all of that. And then as a group, that's forming this LLC, you get to decide the terms of succession. So when a member of the LLC dies, what happens to their ownership interest in the LLC? 
So that's how LLC can be used in estate planning. Everything that you'll hear me say is that it really depends on the family. It's an individualized approach to make sure that we're doing things that make sense for this particular family. Thank you so much for clarifying that for the listeners. I know that there are a lot of people out there who for the first time are thinking about this in an entirely different way. And this is why we often say, you know, when you're doing estate planning, especially if you have or are possibly going to come into different assets, but in any case, you know, working with a lawyer to start to think about these issues, start to strategize about these issues will help to ensure that, you know, your particular outcome can be attained. And, you know, when you go online and you try to do it yourself, I mean, you know, everyone means Uh well because, you know, they feel like something's better than nothing. But at the same time, you don't get this strategy, you don't get this deep conversation, and you don't get to figure out how it applies to your specific family's goals. So definitely, if you're thinking about these issues right now, you know, consider reaching out to an attorney who can assist you with your individualized family plan. Yes, please do that. Like, I, I cannot stress that enough. I always tell people, look, I know I'm an attorney. I know I have an interest in getting you know, you to do an estate plan with me so that you can pay me. If you feel like that's a concern, pay somebody else. I'm not trying to get you to get an estate plan because I want your money. I'm trying to get you to get an estate plan because you need it and you need to work with an attorney. Because like you said, only an attorney is going to be able to take that individualized approach. And I also caution the listeners, when you are selecting your attorney, be very intentional. Every attorney is not an estate planning attorney. Many attorneys will tell you that they do wills. I almost feel like if if they say I do wills, you just need to avoid them (laughs) because wills are very specific. In many cases, they are what a client needs. But in many cases, a person would need more than a will or even with their will. They need a will that's going to have specific provisions that apply to their situation. So I caution listeners that you invest in an estate planning attorney when it comes to leaving your legacy for your your loved ones, because I've seen enough horror stories. I've seen enough situations where families even pay attorneys to get their wills done or have an estate plan done. And it was so formulaic that the problems we're having to undo <laughs> That the, the will, you know, is the, t- the to undo what happened with the will is almost as if they would have been better off without it. So, you know, it's really important that you use discretion when you're selecting someone to help you with your estate plan. I feel like we touched on it, but why would you say that preserving and transferring your property correctly is important? Well, it gives the next generation a leg up. So everybody doesn't have to start over each generation. If you don't have proper estate planning, then you're telling the next generation you got to start over from square one. When you have a good estate plan in place, then you're giving them something to stand on so that when they get started in their lives, they're not starting from scratch. And again, as an attorney who is an attorney of color and who has primarily has clients who are people of color. I see this so often in our communities where, you know, I just think about myself. I went to good schools. I have a law degree, but 
there's a lot where I've had to start from scratch because the people before me were not able to leave anything for me to start with. And I have no blame for them because I, you know, just thinking about the legacy they left me in terms of just the value for education and helping me in the ways that they did help me. I value that. But then I have some colleagues who have the same credentials I have, or perhaps not even as advanced credentials, but their parents or their grandparents were able to say, hey, here's a house. You don't even have to pay for a house, or at least here's a down payment for your first house. And so I'm looking at them. We have the same credentials, or they might have even, you know, they might not have an advanced degree, but they're able to start life out farther ahead because their grandparents left them some land or their grandparents left them a house or their grandparents had money that they were able to use to pay for college, whereas I had to get loans. And so, you know, it's it's just if we don't plan, then we're starting our processes over the process over and over and over instead of allowing the next generation to pick up where the previous one left off and allowing us to grow and build with each generation rather than either staying the same or even shrinking. Because when you don't have good estate planning in place, often you're putting a financial liability on your family because they have to pay additional administration fees. They have to pay your bills. If you are if you have certain liabilities, they have to catch up with those things. Whereas if you have a solid estate plan in place from the front end, they're able to take what you're leaving them and grow from there. I love it. So what does legacy mean to you? Legacy. Legacy. I, I, I love the word and I love thinking about the word. Legacy to me is leaving something for, it's, it's exactly what I just talked about, leaving something for the next generation that they can build upon. And legacy can be physical assets. It could be money, wealth, but it also is the wealth of wisdom, the values that you have, the practices that you have in your life. With um, my husband and I, we're really trying to not only create a financial legacy for our children and our grandchildren, but we're trying to also build a a certain kind of mindset toward how we live that we can pass on as well. So legacy to me is both the financial and the physical assets, but it's also those intangibles like values, like faith, like the way that you approach life that you're leaving behind for the next generation so that they can grow again from what you're leaving and that they can be better than you were when you started. I love that you mentioned that because I think we do tend to think about legacy from the standpoint of, well, what can you give in physical form to the next generation? Mm -hmm. So many of those other things. I think you mentioned um, a few minutes ago about how Although you may not have had all the material, you know, given to you for the next uh, step in your life, you were given the values of like getting your higher education and that pushed you forward. And so you're thankful for that. And so we need to think about legacy in both of these ways as we have these conversations. It's a very good point. Right. What would you say is the one takeaway that you would like for the listeners to have from this conversation? I would say, Be very mindful and intentional about the legacy that you're leaving for the people who come after you. And one thing I want to mention on that is some people are not going to have children and some people, you know, that, you know, that great children and grandchildren is not who they're working for. But we have nieces and nephews 
We have children in your neighborhood. We have just other people who are going to come behind you, whether it's in your field or in whatever way, whatever path you are taving in life, there are people who are going to come behind you. And so leaving something for them that's of value that they can pick up as they move along. And so my takeaway would be, be mindful of that in everything that you do, whether it's your job, what kind of career choice you're making, or whether or not you're getting an estate plan done, or what kind of uh, way that you want to live your life. Just be mindful that there are people who are coming after you, and you're not just doing it for yourself. I think it's very imperative for us, especially as people of color, to be mindful that other people need to be able to stand on our shoulders. Although it's not just for them, it's for you as well, but just proceed forward with that kind of mindset. And and we have the tools now that our ancestors didn't always have. We can talk to an attorney and ask them to help us to see the future. Whereas before, they didn't have that resource. So I want us to be thinking about the future as we're proceeding in the present. Really good point about, you know, people who may say, well, I don't have children, so I'm not really thinking about my legacy in that way. There are other opportunities, even outside of individuals. We didn't touch on it during this episode, but maybe in a future episode talking about charitable giving, something that you can think right. about. Because there are so many institutions that we may want to support in a charitable fashion. And when you're working with your estate planning attorney, if you do have charitable goals for during your life or after your life, you know, that's something that can come up in the conversation. Right, right. That's very um, timely, even considering that last month was Black Philanthropy Month. And that's what a lot of, I know here we had a big initiative with it about charitable giving and how it can help to build the community by having these individual donors. Awesome. Well, Veronica, this has been such a great conversation. I know that we could talk all day about this. <laughs> so where can listeners go, though, to learn more about you or to stay connected with you? Well, one start would be my website, www.mcclendonlawoffice.com. That's McClendon with two C's, M-C-C-L-E-N-D-O-N, lawoffice.com. And then also on Facebook, I have a page for my firm, McClendon Law Office. No, I'm sorry, McClendon Law Consulting. On Facebook, I have a page as well. I'm actually in the process. It's it's an interesting time for me because I'm building out my other profiles and some other ways to reach out to me. But um, you definitely can start in my website or you can email me, veronica at mcclendonlawoffice.com. I'd be happy to add you to my email list because I'm going to be sending out some newsletters to talk about estate planning and just other things that I'm working on I want to share with people. So Definitely check out my website, email me, get added to the mailing list, and you'll be updated as new developments come about. You all definitely take advantage of her offer to stay connected because as you see, she is a wealth of knowledge. Veronica, thank you again for joining us for today, for being the first guest on the podcast. I appreciate you. I'm just thrilled to, to be to be here. And I'm just feeling so special to be the first guest. So thank you so much for thinking about me. Thanks for listening in. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so that you don't miss a thing. 
And I'd love it if you take a moment to leave a rating and review wherever you are listening to podcasts, because that'll help others to find the podcast. Lastly, if you missed anything at all, if you're looking for a link to something or someone I've mentioned, or just for more, visit our show notes page. The link is in the podcast episode description. Talk to you next time. Thank you.